Unfinished projects. Unfinished projects. Me just saying that for some of you that brings up all these awful feelings in your heart. Uh, You know what it is to, it's exciting to start a project. It's exciting uh, to begin. The first day of school is always awesome. Uh, It's the days toward the latter part of being able to finish that's difficult. Uh, This morning, uh, we are getting to finish a book, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. You could turn there now. Uh, But uh, to be able to finish is really the idea uh, that Paul has been sharing this last couple of weeks as we've been going through uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to encourage you this morning that there is a way to finish and a a way to finish well and to complete uh, what's been started. Uh, Not on your house. That would be encouragement, too, if I could tell you how to finish all those projects at your house. But uh, this is the the project that God began in us. I I think often uh, we forget that in the New Testament, uh, the people that Paul writes to, the, the different books and cities, and uh, those are all real people, just like you and, you and I. And if you could picture with me uh, Paul and the other missionaries going into the city of Thessalonica, they heard a message that they had never heard before. Not that they maybe hadn't vaguely heard about it, but they heard the truth. They heard the truth, and it... It resonated in their heart like never before because God was doing a work in them to draw them to himself. And as they accepted this message, uh, it went from there to, well, great, we're saved. What do we do now? What do we do now? And in the midst of suffering and tribulation and difficult times, They were called to uh, walk with the Lord, to continue in the calling that God had given them. And so this morning, uh, we're going to come to that conclusion. And as we come to that conclusion, as Paul has gone on the last couple of weeks, we've realized that it's almost like bullet points. He's giving the last charges uh, to these people. And so we're going to look at verses 23 to the end of the chapter. If you'd stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read that to you, starting in verse 23. It says this, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord uh, to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with you, God, we ask your blessing on your word as uh, we get to walk through it now and I get to share. Lord, I pray that you would do your work. I ask that you would remind us of the truth, that we would abandon the lies that uh, are so destructive in our own hearts and that we would trust in you. God, thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I always feel like I should say you should be seated. Because if you're standing the whole time while I was preaching, it would be a bad deal. Um, Anyways. um, 
What was I saying again? First uh, Thessalonians chapter five. He's going through these last bullet points where he desires to share with them how to finish, how to finish. And I, I think about that idea of finishing, uh, and it, it gets tiring, doesn't it? Uh, I spoke of a school year uh, just prior, and uh, for those of you teachers and students, you know about how difficult it is. Uh, in you know April, you start going, I can kind of see it happening and coming to conclusion, but there's still so much work to be done, and uh, you just want to pack up and quit. And, uh, you know, you wish that the end of April was the end of the school year, but you got time left to go, and students feel the grind and that, that feeling of, I don't know that I can make it. Um, and I want to tell you that that idea of, I don't know if I can make it, that's a reality for all of us. I think of some of you who are struggling uh, with relationships in your family. And uh, night after night, day after day, it's a burden to you. And you have moments where you don't think about it. But when then you think about it again, you say, I, I don't know if I can make it. I, I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to complete what God wants me to do. I know some of you are struggling with health issues and, or health issues in your family. And, and it's this thing where you want to go to the next doctor because you think the doctor's going to have some pill that's going to make it go away. And I want to tell you, that's not the, the plan of God. Uh, not, not that he doesn't want you to be better. He may want you to be better. But I want to tell you, this life is fatal. This life is fatal. That, uh, unless the Lord returns, each one of us are going to go to our grave where this life will end. And that's not something that we should run from as believers because we know that the Lord is the one who plans this, that the end of the life, end of this life is even part of his plan. But it's hard. It's hard. And sometimes the discouragement of life and to look inward and to say, do I have enough to make it through the day? And you struggle and you go, uh, maybe outwardly you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But inwardly, you're going, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can finish. God's word has something for you this morning. And it's very important, very important. And so uh, I hope that I can do it justice. And so you could see it clearly. I have this morning, um, I have nine points, which makes everyone nervous uh, because I never have nine points. And sometimes I'm even long with less than that. So. I, I hope it's not a math problem that works out bad this morning. As he goes through this passage, he gives us really the answers of how to keep on doing this work. You realize that he's not there and he's instructing a church and he feels compelled for his love for them and their relationship to set them up right. And so he wants to give them what it is they should be doing. And so there's nine things as he ends this book of things that they should be, uh, it's really how to keep doing the work of the Lord. The first one goes like this, verse 23, trust in the God of peace, trust in the God of peace. He said, he, he refers to them and he says, now may the God of peace himself. As we look at this, I, I want you to know that as you look out in the world, uh, uh, would you say, as you look out in the world, as you listen to the news, as you consider even our, our town, city, uh, homestead area where we are here, uh, would you consider us uh, a town of peace? 
and an increasingly better town of peace. Like uh, as you think about the, the crimes that are committed, the way people treat one another. And then you move out from there and you say, do we live in a state of peace, a state of peace and have a governor of peace? Or in our country, as you think of our country, and then out to our world. And uh, as you look at things, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Because you realize there is not peace in the world. There is not this overarching sense of calm and goodwill that comes from living in this world. But he doesn't point to the world, the city, the town, the governor. He says, now may the God of peace... And, and I, I want you to know, if you trust in yourself, you trust in your family, you trust in uh, your city, state, country, world, you will not find peace. You will not, that, that, that's not something to trust in. But we should start out this idea that we are trusting in for everything in life, for, for whatever is to come, that the God of peace would reign in our heart. Um. If that's not true, your life will be in chaos. It will be. This world's in chaos. You will follow. If you trust anything other than our God, you will follow in a life of chaos because he's the only one of peace. The God of peace. So we trust in the God of peace. Now, uh, he, he starts off acknowledging our God. And then he says about this God, verse 23 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That word sanctify is connected to the word holy. And it, it's this idea of making one holy, making one holy. And, and the, the process of sanctification is this idea where God is doing his work in you. And, and this is a very important thing for us to remember that God is doing the work in you. It's not you doing the work in you. Uh, you. You leave, you do shoddy work sometimes. Uh, you, you leave things unfinished. Uh, your skills aren't that great when it comes to the work of the human soul. And so, um, some of you have had health problems and you realize that, you know, maybe, maybe you need heart, you know, you need a, valve work or you need even open heart surgery or something that opens up this area and some of you are real competent and you say you know i'll just do it myself i'll do my own surgery i'll get a couple of mirrors i think you know there's there's a way to do this right that's ridiculous that's ridiculous and so is it ridiculous if you think that you can do the work of changing yourself to be what God wants you to be. And you get this picture at the end of this book where he's already they've already come to faith. Now he's saying to them, now may the God of peace sanctify you, this idea that you would be brought to completion. How's this project going to come to completion? I think that that's part of the... Uh, when you come to faith, you're naive, right? You're naive. You're excited. You know very simple things when you come to faith. Uh, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And he's the Savior. That's about all we know. And so we're excited because we are overwhelmed by our sin, but we 
uh, found the Savior, or He found us. And so we're, we're thrilled with that. And we, we love it. We love it that He is the one for us. But what happens the days after, you know, after when it starts to get hard and we realize that we are struggling with the person we used to be? I want to tell you that God of peace that comes into your life, the one who can be trusted, He's the one. He's the one that will be the one to sanctify you, to make you holy. He goes on to say in in verse 23 as well, he says, uh, may the God of peace uh, sanctify you completely. Uh, Number three, that we would trust in him to keep to to preserve us. Okay, Um, he says this, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, be kept blameless. And you say, how can I be kept blameless? Um, I won't look for a show of hands, but, um, you know, before you come to know Christ, maybe some of you uh, let it fly with your language. Uh, Four-letter words were part of what you do, and maybe you connected it to your occupation. You know, all construction workers, all cops, all firemen, all businessmen, this is the way they talk. I can't do, it can't be changed. I want to tell you, it doesn't get changed just because you come to faith. But trusting in, in Him to be the one to change you. His, his realm, it, it's interesting how it says it here. It uses these words, and sometimes there's four when it speaks in the New Testament. It says spirit, soul, and body. Some people get really wound up about how to separate those. Well, what is your spirit? What is your soul? We know what the body is, by the way. That's the simple one. But uh, this idea that that we are separate and which part of me and uh, this part of me is sinning and this part is not sinning. That, all that, that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about the whole person, the whole person, your whole person. What's going to happen to your whole person? It's going to be a work of God that he would preserve you blameless, blameless. You, you see this work is building. You have the God of peace to him working him himself is in an intimate way that he would do that work to make you holy. And then you say, well, how can I remain holy? How can I be kept until that day? It seems long, right? It's interesting. Uh, some of us are worried about our life being cut short. But then others worry about, boy, it seems like it's getting long. It seems like it's hard to finish. And I just want to tell you that God's purpose in you, the one that we can trust in, is that He would take our whole person and that He would be the one to drag us over the finish line. He would be the one to make sure that we pass, that we would be found blameless. That word blameless, uh, boy, that's a hard one to look at, isn't it? That there would be able to be no charge being brought up against us. It's interesting. Uh, I don't want, I guess I do want to ask this. How many of you have ever gotten a, a, a ticket, a speeding ticket? Raise your hand. Some of you are going, you're going, yeah, <laughs> like this. And that might be me. Uh, I'm not really a lead foot, but I am one who... Uh, isn't paying attention when when he's driving sometimes, so steer clear of me, okay? Uh, It's better for me to be out in the country than in the city, you know? uh, uh, But uh, anyways, uh, that 
that idea of getting a speeding ticket. And so when you get that, there's a bunch of shame that goes involved, especially if it's on Bear Valley Road and like a traffic time. And everyone's going, hey, we always check, by the way, at our, in our family. We, when someone gets pulled over, we, we want to know if we know them because uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's bad to tell you because if we're ever pulled over, I saw you. Uh, but uh, we, we, th- that idea, there's a bit of shame to it, but there's also, now there's a problem. Now there's a problem. And apart from us paying, going to traffic court, doing whatever you got to do, there's a problem. There's a problem. And the idea of being blameless is not that there, you've never committed sin or that you've stopped committing sin, but that there's this taken care of uh, finished it's no longer a problem it's no longer if someone says hey weren't you the one that was speeding on july 3rd you know yeah it was but that's been taken care of went saw the judge paid my fine done it's over this idea how can that be true how can we be in this blameless state the work of god to trust in him the one who can keep us preserved until the day which moves us to my fourth point we're moving right along here. Some of you are nervous for nothing. Um, number four, that we could live in light of the certain return of the Lord. In this passage, it says, uh, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, a day that we are pushing towards here. That there's a day that we are not just pushing towards, but we are living in light of. And, and I think that's what shocks us about these things that happen in Las Vegas. Is that we think that life's just going to go on. That nothing bad is going to happen unless we put it on our calendar. Right? We can only put events on our calendar that we can control. And I want to tell you that, that we really can't control anything. Some of you plan on things that never come to fruition. You put it on the calendar. You put it on Sharpie, and you say, this is going to happen. And then that day comes and goes, and you go, hey, I thought I planned this. Well, you're not in charge. And so we don't know what the future holds, but we know this. There's something certain. What is it? That the Lord will return. And so... What we do, what we do is we look at the days and even the moments that the Lord has given us and we say, how do I live in light of the fact that the Lord's going to return? In days past, they've, they've uh, talked about this idea. Would, would you want to be doing what you're doing when the Lord returns? I think that's a good question to ask. I realize that... Uh, there are practical things that we need to do. Some of you say, well, I, I, when the Lord returns, I don't want to be doing laundry. That's for sure. You know, and so I am not going to do laundry anymore, uh, you know, until the Lord returns. Or maybe some of you felt like your laundry pile has gone into the eternal state where uh, it will take you eternity to get to the bottom of that. I don't know. But. This picture is that that we would be able to say, I am doing what the Lord wants me to be doing. And some of those are mundane tasks. Some of those are great tasks. But it's this idea of saying, we know he's going to return. We know. And so we live in light of that. One thing I know for certain is this. 
that you don't want to be involved and lost in sin at his return. That you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be complaining when he returns. You don't want to be discontent. You don't want to be lost in immorality. You don't want to be negligent in your uh, your commitments to your wife and to your children. You want to be serving Him and fumbling before Him and desiring to be the man or the woman that He wants you to be, that He saved you to be. And so this idea, and we're going to go into Second Thessalonians either next week or the week after, but we're going to talk more about the return of Christ. I know Pastor Mike is talking about that in his class. But, but this idea is this. It's not that we would know every detail of the, the return of the Lord, but that we would be mindful that He is going to return. And so that would give us perspective on whatever we're doing today. We're bothered about so many things. We're stressed. We're overwhelmed. And, and to know that the Lord will return gives us perspective that we can handle the things of the day. Um, I think we'll find Second Thessalonians to be very interesting in that, uh, going between that which is eternal to that which is practical and day-to-day. So we live in light of the certain return of the Lord. And then, uh, really, my favorite part of this message, verse 24. If you've been sleeping up till now, wake up. Uh, as we look at verse 24, this is one of those ones we need to make those those you know, those nice signs for our house and put them everywhere, okay? Either written or you can spray paint them. If you're kind of a tagger, go ahead, do that, you know. Um, this verse 24, uh, I, I love it. I love it. And, and think of it in terms of, I don't know if I can make it. I, I don't know if I can complete what God has, has done for me, what He has called me to. Listen to this, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Trust in the only faithful one. Now, before I get into the only faithful one, it's not you. It's not you. You're going to run out. You're going to run out. Uh, some Some of us won't even be able to see the finish line when our strength runs out. Our get up and go, our work ethic, our self-reliance will give up far short of the finish line. Far short. Like, like it's not, it won't, won't even be something that, oh, he, he almost made it. It won't be that, right? You know, they're, they got a, one of those panoramic views of the finish line, and we haven't even come into the picture yet, Okay. Uh, it, it's not close. And yet, for some of us, we, we want to be thought of as the great one. We want to be thought of as the faithful one. And I want to tell you, we are not faithful. But the one who calls us is faithful. The one who calls us. And, and as we look at this, uh, we realize the one who calls us, if you can think of the, the church at Thessalonica, their um what they know of their salvation paul and the missionaries roll in right they share this unique message different message and god does a work in their life and he causes them to come alive he calls them he calls them 
And they respond because they're like, hey, this is the greatest thing ever. I, we've been living, you know, this hamster wheel sort of life. It's just go, 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 and it's not getting anywhere. And, and then we're called, and, and we're excited about the gospel. We know that we've been changed. And you say, well, he called us to this different life. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can make it. But to know this, the same one who called you is faithful to you. And it says this, and he will surely do it. He will surely do it. Trusting in the only faithful one. I want to warn you about some things. Don't trust in things down here. Don't trust in things down here. Don't trust in your insurance. Don't trust in your politics. Don't trust in your money. Don't trust in any of that. Because that will fail you. There are problems in this life and there are problems in your soul that, that you can't buy your way out of. You can't buy your way out of. You can't find a doctor that can fix it. Uh, and so we don't trust in those sort of things. You also can't trust in yourself. And you say, why can't I trust in myself? It's your track record. Okay? That's your track record. Your track record has shown that you can't be trusted. And so if you think you're going to finish based on your own efforts, that's a bad deal because you haven't been able to do uh, spiritual things in your own effort prior to this, okay? And so Paul, as he's sharing with them, and what a relief, by the way, right? These, uh, this church at Thessalonica, just trying to figure it out. They're probably working really hard and thinking, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, and uh, frustrated at their own failings. You come to the end of this book and it says uh, that he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. He'll be the one. He'll be the one. And so for us to trust in the only faithful one. Number six. He gets to the end and he says this. Brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. Now why? First of all, he was considering them brothers. I love that. This brother, you know, we had talked about this over and over again. He loved these people. They loved him. And he said, why? Why did he call on them to pray for him? It's real simple. It's real simple. Because the work of the Lord isn't done without the unction of the Lord. The power of the Lord. And the power of the Lord, he says, call upon the one who we need. As we go into other cities where we're sharing the same gospel that we shared in your city, pray for us. Why? Because we're going to share the same message, the same message that if God doesn't go before us, uh, we don't need to be going. And so they ask for prayer for partner workers. And, and really, that's the, the thing. As we think of missionaries, we're doing the work of the gospel here. They're doing the work of the gospel there. And so we consider them partner workers as we um, are involved in the building of his church in different places. Number seven, this is one uh, that, that, that's a little struggle for us, especially if you've been a youth pastor before. Verse 26 says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now, I don't see too much kissing going on here at church. Next week, I'm expecting a lot more. Um, no, I, I've been in places, maybe some of you have, where that's what they do. That's their greeting at church. I went to Russia, and they prepared me for this. And um, this is what uh, the churches in Russia, at least at the time I went, 
uh, they did. They, they greeted each other with a holy kiss. And so um, I was in the master's college at that time, and uh, the vice president of the college, he was making his rounds during the summer. There were different mission teams out, and we met him in uh, the airport in Moscow. Uh, he was going to visit us and then visit another team. And so as he gets off the plane, he comes through. Uh, we'd already been there for four or five weeks. I grab him and I kiss him right on the lips, right in the airport there, just to welcome him to Russia. Um, and he's like, ah, what are you doing? Um, this idea of a holy kiss is this, that it's a greeting. In different cultures, they would use uh, a kiss as a greeting and not with any kind of sensual um, innuendo or anything like that but it's this idea of that we greet one another we consider each other uh, brothers we we see each other as families and and, and this is very important I, I was thinking about this for our church we should be happy to see one another and, and when I say happy it's not just that we would uh, look at each other and go oh there's so-and-so it's that we would be welcoming to one another, not just here on Sunday, but in Albertsons, in Kmart, in Tractor Supply, right? And there's a sense where, you know, at school, at school, at, at, at the football field, right? There, there's this idea that as we look out at all of humanity, we don't just see each other, oh, they're in my fourth period class. Oh, uh, they, they work at my work. They, there's a special relationship that's acknowledged in our greeting with one another. It's this, that we are family. We are family. And so there's this constant. And, and I want to tell you, ignoring people, ignoring people, that's awful. It's awful. The idea that we would look upon a brother or sister and that we'd go, oh, that's awful. Why? Because we're going to spend eternity with one another. Because God has called us to be uh, together and with one another. I, I want to tell you, this is very important for you to get. Please get this. That we, God has called us individually, but he's called us to this family. And so for us, that we would love one another. You know, I want to give you, I want to give you license to do something right now. Um, how many of you are terrible with names? Terrible with names. Hey, forget it. Who cares about names, right? The Lord's got our name. He's, he, you might even forget your own name sometime, okay? Uh, but, but that you would say, hey, they go to my church. They go to my church. They, I, they're part, you know, I don't know them that well, but they're part, I, I, you know, you don't, you don't have to go Southern on me or anything. Brother, good to see you. Sister, good to see you. That is, is way better in the South, right? Because you didn't need to know anybody's name. Everyone was just brother and sister. So, and pastor. Pastor, good to see you. Um, anyways, uh, remember the sweet family unity of God. Number seven. Number eight. Acknowledge our desperate need for the voice of God. Verse 27 says this. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. I, I read this and I kind of snicker because he this is stronger than almost any other. Uh, he, he, he wants them to have this read. And, and if you can picture, it's in a scroll or, a, you know, folded pages or something like that. And it's only one. And so 
if one would receive that, there's a sense where they go, well, I want to read this first before we you know, get this out to the public. And, eh, not everyone needs to. But Paul knew that they all needed to hear this. Why? Because it was an inspired word of God. It wasn't his words. It was God's words. And, and this picture here is the same picture for us here today that we should acknowledge our desperate need for the voice of God. And what is that? The Word of God. That He, we should be desperate about that. There are issues in your life right now. There are decisions that need to be made that need to be instructed by God, not by the wisdom of this world. You don't need to think about it more. You need God's answer for you. And for you to be equipped to make that answer is to hear from him, from him, the voice of God in your life. And so he says, um, I hold you under oath. I, I, I make sure you, you, you need you're going to have to answer to God if you don't get this read to everybody. OK, and for us, we should have the same uh, acknowledging of our desperate need, for the voice of God in our life. And then lastly, verse 28, as Paul uh, usually starts his letters with this. He also ends his letters with this. And it's this one thing, the grace of God, found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, grace, grace. And I want to tell you, um, we're not going to rename our church to Fair uh, Valley Grace Church or something like that, but I want to tell you, that's the heart of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ that what he has done on the cross is what he has done. And in us, he has displayed grace. He has not called uh, our sins against us. He has not held us to it. He has said, I will take care of them in my son, Jesus. Grace, grace, grace. Uh, one writer has said this for Paul. Grace is the alpha and the omega. The, what Jesus has done, he, he's reminded of over and over. He starts with it and he ends with it. Um, grace. Please join with me in prayer. I'm so thankful that we have been able to, uh, God has granted us the ability to get through this book. And I, I'm so thankful for different messages that he's prompted our hearts, timely messages. And so we thank him. God, uh, we do thank you. We realize that um, us meeting, us being able to have your word, us being able to understand it uh, to some degree and um, just all that you're doing. Lord, we realize it's all to you that uh, you're, you're the one that deserves the praise. God, I, I want to um, acknowledge that this isn't a self-help thing that we're trying to do. Maybe it slips into that sometimes and forgive us. But what we're seeking to do is to lift Jesus Christ up that we are to acknowledge that His place is most prominent and that we are the ones who are needy and He is our sweet Savior and Lord. God, we thank You for what You've done. We thank You for Your Word. And God, glorify Yourself in Your church. We pray this all in Your Son's name. Amen. Thank You so much for being here today. You are dismissed.